This week on Trek Mary Kill. Beakers, breakouts, blobs. Next. Odo is on a search for his past. Dr. Mora thinks he may have discovered the origin of my people. A perilous journey that leads to a startling discovery. I think I may have found what we're looking for. Now, an evil life force is loose on the station. Intruder, alert. Where the hell did it come from? But is Odo trying to find it? I'll be running the investigation. Or protect it. What do you think they'll do with you? On the next episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, a podcast that gets some kind of perverse pleasure out of watching Star Trek. Happy New Year! Wow, it's 2024. Yeah. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like we're in the future, right? 2024. Wow. Did you? What'd you do on New Year's Eve, Brian? <laughs> Uh, I got a little tipsy and uh, I made sure to kiss the person I loved uh, at about midnight and it was nice. But that was mm-hmm. it. What'd you do? Uh, I probably went to bed at 930. <laughs> uh, are you someone who does resolutions? Yes, but not seriously. <laughs> what What's the most serious resolution you've done? I may have to ask you to edit this one out but one year a friend of mine and i decided we'd become bigger sluts for the new year and we did it and it was great <laughs> this is a long time ago though so just in case anyone was but maybe maybe that should be my new my resolution this year too Does what a fun year that was. Yeah. yeah i don't know why i was like i should do this every year i mean i guess you can't do it every year because then you have to top yourself and then that yeah. you're on only fans but yes this was this was before only fans that's right now in the only fans era it, it warrants a revisitation that's yeah nice. i mean i think um Andy Warhol got it wrong. He should have said in the future, everyone will be a pornographer, but because that's what has happened. But back in those days, not just anyone could be a pornographer. That's right. You had to like actually have equipment and generally a partner yes. or more. Someone had to approve you. Yeah, there was auditions. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I would not have, I would not have passed muster. Let's just put it out there okay because you had to be a professional back then now anybody you had to be really committed this is not a side hustle it's a lifestyle no. yes yeah yeah you couldn't like work part-time at the i don't know the cinema and then go do your porn career uh mine have always been like weight loss mm-hmm. going to bed at a reasonable hour that was well, last year. That's boring. That's boring. It was super boring, but you know, it was it was like let's try it, and it didn't. How did that? How did that um, go with your Star Trek at midnight uh, it, viewing, though? It it didn't. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't mesh. It didn't last long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't know. The the bedtime thing seems like a, a thing that just the normal, good, healthy, hygienic practice I should do, regardless of New Year, but. Here we are in this new year, and like I said uh, when we did our level one diagnostic, I kind of became obsessed with programming theme months for us in season two, our second season. We've done the trials of season two, just finished split in two, uh, and here in January, we're going to do two-handers, 
as in Star Trek episodes that are about the conflict between two characters. Uh, pretty common dramatic device. It's a, it's a core tenant of being a television writer is being able to write a two-person scene. You can't do that. You, you're not going to get staffed. Um, so we're, this is week, that considered difficult? Well, you have to write something that's compelling and moves the story forward and, you know, compelling slash entertaining and moves the story forward. And, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, that are kind of like basic drama that that not everyone can do. You know, it's like, can you can you find the most interesting part of the scene? Are you advancing, you know, in this one that we're about to talk about, like you're doing two things in, in the scene, the plot, but also the emotion. So it can be tricky. I mean, it's a good way of, of separating the amateurs from the pros for sure is figuring out, does this two person scene work? And when you're a show on a budget like Star Trek, you damn well better be able to pull it off. Otherwise, <laughs> you're in big trouble. Uh, we're talking about the alternate. It's the 12th episode of Deep Space Nine's second season, teleplay by Bill Dial, who later wrote Tribunal, which we've already covered. Uh, it was a, from a story by Jim Trombetta with Bill Dial. It was directed by David Carson, who directed Deep Space Nine's pilot Emissary. Um, and this is his very last episode of Star Trek. His final attachment to the franchise after this was directing Generations, the, the movie, the first Next Generation movie. But this is it. Uh, it debuted in syndication January 9th, 1994. So this is the 30th anniversary of this episode, I'm sure most people have forgotten. So <laughs> I surprisingly, or maybe not, did not forget about this episode. Mm. have not forgotten about it. Uh, Memory Alpha describes it. The Bajoran scientist who used to be Odo's teacher arrives with evidence of others of Odo's kind. What Memory Alpha doesn't say is that this is the scientist's return, Dr. Mora, triggers a massive anxiety attack in Odo <laughs> that turns him into a monster. Uh, it's like whenever my mom would come to visit me at college or just become a different person. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to say I read that before I watched the episode. And I was like, whoa, Brian's really on one. But OK, <laughs> but now I understand what you mean. And the Bajoran scientist who used to be Odo's teacher is maybe perhaps an inelegant explanation of what the story really is. I mean, uh, later on, Dr. Mora will make some mention of a zoo, but there is kind of this idea of like an animal in captivity and its trainer or, you know, its caretaker and feeling like it, you know, the show makes the point of like, it's like a father and son, but mm -hmm. actually the way that it's more written is like, Oh, this, this wild animal. Actor. Yeah. Yeah. The captor. Exactly. Right. Uh, so is this the first time you saw the episode? If it isn't, I have no memory of it before this. <laughs> I very clearly remember the ending because that was, there's a huge visual effects finale in this one that had not prior to happened in an episode of Star Trek before, like the scale and intensity of this mm -hmm. monster visual effect we hadn't seen before. So that really stuck in my mind because, you know, as a, as a teenager, or I was like 13 when this, no, I was 12. Uh, you know, when this episode was out, it's like, Oh, a lot of talking. <laughs> and then at the end, wow, there's like a monster and this huge special effect. So I've always remembered it. Um, do you feel this episode now that you, I did more, or I'd mentioned that in the notes, did this feel like a thoughtful examination of, maybe narcissistic personality disorder or an estranged parent-child relationship or did none of that? Well, in? I think it certainly touches on it, but I want to say it's a 
thoughtful examination. <laughs> because at the end, well, spoilers, uh, the doctor's like, oh boy, maybe I was I was bad. Maybe maybe I did some bad things. We got to talk about this. And if it, a real person with narcissistic personality disorder would not come to that realization that quickly. That's exactly right. So it kind of like boils down to this is more like an, if it is a parent relationship at all, which I, I don't buy in the episode actually tries to make that point. It is some version of a, you know, a power imbalanced relationship that someone was overbearing and wasn't seen, you know, today it would just be presented as Odo complaining to one of his friends being to Kira being like, he doesn't see me for who I am or one of the characters pointing it out to him. And that's how it would be presented. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to not uh, think about my upbringing. <laughs> and this one it has more resonance now that I've gotten away from it about, you know, how a parent or someone who took care of you might view that relationship and your role in their life and what you either owe them or like how you're, you know, everything you are is because of them, but you're also not more than what they see you as. Like you can't become greater than. So it doesn't like, didn't like strike a nerve. It's like interesting. There's a lot going on. Um, none of that was really the driving force behind the episode, though. Even mm-hmm. though it seems so nakedly out there that like Odo has this subconscious anxiety that overwhelms him and causes him to turn into this monster. And no, the idea was because it's called the alternate. Was what if a shapeshifter suffered from multiple personality disorder? <laughs> Not only would he go around exhibiting different personalities, but different bodies. Whoa! So very like TV tropey, like alternate. Per- like this was definitely in the you know soap opera trope, primetime soap yeah. of like of altered things. The the dissociative identity disorder. Yes, as displayed in soap operas. And maybe handled slightly more maturely, but not much in the United States of Terra many, many years later, like 15 years later. Do you you remember that show? I remember, but I did not watch it. Terry Collette. Um, It was pretty good. Tony Uh, Collette? Young young, uh, Brie Larson. What did I say? Tony Collette? Terry? Oh, Tony Collette. Yeah, sorry, Terry. No Terry Collette. (laughs) Yeah, it was, but... Our Our apologies to Tony Collette, who's definitely listening. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Welcome anytime, Terry. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Terry Collette. Uh, so I just thought it was funny. The episode's called The Alternate. It's about an alter, you know, Odo's alternate personality, but it's not. There's like nothing in the episode that would suggest what they were going for because it very, I'm mean, spoilers, this is what our show is. It's all about that this, this doctor shows up at the station because he wants to pressure Odo into getting a runabout mm-hmm. so that they can go so he can start researching again. Not, not through the normal channels. Yes. And then Odo just seeing the guy like freaks him out. Mm-hmm. And then this quote unquote volcanic gas gives him like this like mm-hmm. it, like causes him to uh turn into this dark monster at night and uh and and attack attack the doctor multiple ways multiple so it's just very strange that I, I just think it's funny the very 90s conception of it. And actually what they wound up doing was writing a pretty good episode about anxiety <laughs> and like a, a relationship yeah. that causes you uh, psychic distress, distress. I remember I had a teacher. I was taught by nuns, um, mm-hmm. not exclusively, but most of the time. And in eighth grade, there was a, a particular nun 
who was new to the school or whatever. And she just didn't like me. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think in the years since we all kind of figured out, even the girls in our class, it's like, Oh, she didn't like boys or men. (laughs) And so, you know, so she, she kind of like picked on me, but like, not really like in a way that was like, so like, I don't remember any specifics. I just remember like the first time I ever had like, uh, like my like a semi panic attack. I didn't have to leave the school or like leave class, but like my, my heart rate increased and I felt myself tensing was like when I heard her walking into a room, that was the first time I'm like, Oh, there's something going on here. <laughs> and that was like the first time I was aware of it, uh, of that you could feel this way. So uh, that's what this episode really feels like. I have a question about the nuns. Uh-huh. Were they like qualified to teach? But like, let's say if they try to get a job at say a public school, they wouldn't even go past the first round. Right. I don't know what degree of certification they have to have in order to be presented as a teacher in the state of California, but I think it's somewhere. There's well, some you, version. I uh, generally need a, a, I believe a, you know, like a bachelor's degree from an accredited college. Oh, yeah, no, they didn't have college. that. Or, yeah, right. okay. They, so, I mean, like they were a teaching order, like that was their order was okay. their school teachers. So that was basically about so, it. So like what happens when you get to something like calculus or... Well, a subject, you know, that one usually needs a college degree to really study in depth. What happened well, then? Well, luckily for me, I'm I'm a dumb piece of shit who wouldn't understand calculus no matter who taught it to me. Well, so maybe you right. would if you went to like a school. <laughs> well, they weren't teaching calculus <laughs> in they were teaching in calculus in in sixth grade. So, okay, yeah. algebra or whatever. <laughs> Pre-algebra. In, in high school, I also went to a Catholic school that was fully accredited by the state, had people with college degrees teaching the classes oh, okay. and all that stuff. So the, It's just the, before then. Before then, I don't know. It was wild, the Wild West. I think the, the teachers who teach at the school now, I'm very uncertain of their accreditation either. So um, I don't know. That was that wasn't even really a complaint, uh, really. I mean, the nuns were fine. That was just the one time, the very first time in my life where I'm like, a person can make me feel that way just by their arrival. Uh, since since then, many people have joined that list. So it was yeah. interesting. So. Well, I feel very bad for you, Brian. That sounds like <laughs> not a fun ordeal. I wasn't fishing it for it, but thanks. Yeah, um, I didn't turn into a monster, but... Um, no, but you could have. <laughs> uh, Michael Pillar says of this episode I like this show it's the closest thing we've ever done to a monster movie and the hardest part was to keep the secret that Odo was the one who was actually doing it I had to throw in a bunch of red herrings I don't know if it they all worked I don't no, know I don't, there wasn't that many red <laughs> yeah. herrings to be honest um, Yeah, David Carson the director <laughs> I'm just mentioning this because it's just funny this is the guy that they he's a British guy they they handed over the the launch of their new era of Star Trek movies to this guy who did a great job with the Deep Space Nine pilot, should be noted. But uh, he said, David Carson was pleased with the episode. I enjoyed the alternate. It had a lot of different colors and interesting stuff in it. Yeah, high praise. <laughs> uh, and then when, I, I guess we should mention this. This is also the episode where Cisco tells Oda the story about his dad and how when his dad was sick, he saw him in the bed and he felt so helpless or, you know, he saw a side of his father he had never seen before. And so it really strongly intimates or suggests that his dad died, but he never explicitly says it, that. It, it's very it's it sounds like he died. 
Yes. But we see Joseph Sisko years later. So it's actually good that they just chucked this. And it's it's good enough like for people who are really following it. Because then there's a version where it's like, well, maybe Sisko's spinning the story up a little bit more to have a connection to Odo in this moment. You know what I mean? Like now you can look at it because he never explicitly said he died. But yeah, uh, Joseph Sisko lives. I think they make they make reference to his prior illness the first time we see him later on they're like and remember this the time is, you were sick this is done even to this day for instance in the pilot episode of succession roman has kids and you're yes. ne- you never hear hear about them again never see him again nope and, and a what? wife i believe too yes and you know what it's fine it's, it's fine on, it's honestly fine what you wanted in the pilot may not be what you want later yes <laughs> like are, are, did we miss anything oh is there like a c plot of roman's Small children, who cares? No, we got the more interesting story yeah. where he's dating the Elizabeth Debicki looking woman mm-hmm. and uh, and he can't get it up for her because yeah. he's, he's a little sicko. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you queer, son? Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, let's get into the grades. Let's start with great scenes. Cork is trying to sell tiny chopped up bits of the famous orator plague to a customers. As is Ferengi tradition, apparently. Yes. Oh, Jesus. As is Ferengi <laughs> tradition. <laughs> and Odo, as he always does, sniffs out that that plot immediately, that that grift. That's right. And Okay, Quark has so many pieces of this guy that he's trying to sell. At least 5,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Odo, apparently this is this is now tradition that we, um, we were learning, is that when the Ferengi die, their loved ones chop them up into thousands of bits and then sell them. Sell so the I, bits. Yes, I had some thought about that. The Probably the less... And like a commemorative, like... <laughs> tin. Tin. <laughs> <laughs> like it could be a little mints or it could be Ferengi ashes. Yeah. <laughs> it actually looks like a little round film canister. Yes. Does that mean if you're like less successful as a Ferengi, like there's bigger pieces of you? Because it's or like you, a share. You can't, like you can't offload them. Right. It's because it's like people are company or corporations basically for Ferengi. That's Mm-hmm. You know, corporations are people <laughs> in Frank and are. And so like how much of how many shares of you can you sell off when you're finally dead mm-hmm. is the thinking there. But um, yeah, but if, you're, I, if you're a Ferengi of note, yes, then you can get some money. But if you're just, you know, Joe Blow Ferengi, no one, no one cares. That's right. Maybe your family keeps like a, a leg. Or something yeah Freaking. the canisters and like the the whole, like there's just so many of these canisters that quark has and that's apparently not even close to how many he has <laughs> or the guy that it says yeah <laughs> i love the approach that odo uses he like he's very he seems very genuinely like interested you know mm-hmm. he like lures quark that way and he's like well how do i know it's him and he goes oh the certificate of dismemberment's right yeah. on there <laughs> Uh, for me, uh, Cisco forces Jake to stay home and not hang out with Nog because mm-hmm. he wants him to study Klingon opera. Yeah. And Jake's like, I got a test on Friday. 
and then he's like, well, I don't want you to just pass the test. I want you to learn something. Oh, that's of its time. But <laughs> but so just they get in this whole argument about, well, when I was your age, I had to learn Klingon opera and all this stuff, which some great lines in here. But it was a nice moment that like they definitely tried to use that father-son relationship, right, for so many episodes to touch on it. <laughs> and this was obviously there to play off against the Mora and Odo relationship of like fathers and sons. That was yeah. part of the idea. And actually, I, since I have all the scripts, they actually do have a scene where he's listening to Klingon opera. Um, they just cut it or they didn't shoot it. So they, they were going to keep going. But this is really the only scene with Jake in the episode. Um, and then that comes or Odo comes in and and mentions that he wants to run about and all that stuff. Um, other great scenes? Um, well, I just put that everyone keeps saying that Dr. Mora is like Odo's father and Odo's like, uh-uh. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's very no. clear on that. Yeah. Uh, no, he is not. I mean, uh, I like the scene when they finally take the runabout through the wormhole and we get the scene in the runabout where Dax is asking Odo, like, how did you, uh, how did you figure out that, that he was alive or sentient or whatever? And, and they're trying to tell the Odo's trying to tell the story, but Mora keeps interrupting and he's like, let me tell it. Or he doesn't even say that. He just takes over uh, and you get a sense of their dynamic, but also the way how Odo is clever and how Mora is impressed by his cleverness, which is a running theme. Like he's constantly dazzled by Odo because he thinks of him as like a little animal, a dumb animal is like, Oh, you can, yeah. you can tell from the tone of my voice. Like a, how like I feel. a yeah. stupid pet trick thing. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, look at it. Look at it go. Look at it. Uh... It's clapping its hands. So I like that scene. I like when they actually get down to the planet. You've got Odo, Dax, Dr. Mora, and another random Bajoran, Dr. Weld. Yeah. Um, oh, I thought he was toast, by the way. Yeah. And I was like, oh, boy. Well, he gets a couple of lines. That nice, was to know you. nice to know you, buddy. But you know what? He actually survives. They go down this planet with a lot of volcanic activity. They find the ceremonial steely. That's what it's called, mm-hmm. written as a script. Uh, and then they find this little pile of a mini Odo or Odo jr. Some silicate sludge. And then there's, there's an earthquake which causes this volcanic ash to, and they have to get out of there. I thought it was a nice little sequence. It was, it was kind of like shot in a way. It kind of looked different from how you, most of the planet things look mm-hmm. like it's shot on a cliff. The the idea that they're going for is like it's shot on a cliff or something. I thought that was interesting. Um, I like totally not shot in a canyon like a real one. No, no, not at all. But they're like, yeah. we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> it's this. the cave set. Yes, it's the cave set with it's a painted drop. Scene. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Shot from basically one direction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like the scene where Ob- where O'Brien's in the conduit and they're mm-hmm. tracking the faint genetic uh, trace of the organism after it escapes from the lab. And um, O'Brien asks Odo and Cisco not to tell Keiko what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then they find the dead baby. They find the dead baby Odo, the little pile of gravy. R.I.P. We hardly knew ye. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then I had three more great scenes. Do you have any more? Um, my next one doesn't come for a while. Well, it's the one where Doctor Mora and Odo have it out, and yeah, he discovers that it's you know, or reveals that it was Odo the whole time. <laughs> You've been chasing yourself or investigating mm-hmm. yourself. Uh, they'll put you in a zoo. That's the yeah. that's the big point of the scene. Like once they find out it's Odo behind all these attacks, and then the whole thing. Well, what where, are you gonna do? Go to Bashir? He thinks you want him dead. Yep, yep. 
And this is the whole idea where he's like, you can't trust them, but you can trust me. And Odo, then we, they have it out. Odo's like, I don't trust you. What makes you think I trust you? And then he gets all indignant. Well, you were my life. I gave you everything. I resent yeah, that. That's where the narcissistic personality yes. disorder parenting thing comes in. Like, obviously, you must come live with me because these people treat you like a circus animal. I mean, I've, like, been in the, I've been in this fight. I've been yeah, in Bashir fight. is not <laughs> the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's a little smarter to be like, oh, this must there must be some explanation for why Odo, like, lost consciousness of himself and, like, attacked me. Not, uh, uh, throw him into the, <laughs> into the circus or into a lab. <laughs> I, I like abstractly uh, am with you, Kristen, but in the terms of this specific episode, actually, I'm not so sure about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have that as a note later on. <laughs> but let's like stay, stay well, like, on Bashir. Okay, like, but I feel like the entire crew will be like, come on, you know, yeah, he's so not yeah, come They on. would overrule Bashir's objections and they'd be like, yeah. hold on a minute. Uh, but yeah, that's a, it's a great scene. It's the, it's, you would think that's the key scene where they relieve the tension, but it actually ratches it up another level because Odo gets hot dog fingers. He starts turning <laughs> into goo. Like it says, he starts getting He's in the script. Sweating. He gets very wet. Yes. He has a panic attack. Basically, and then um, and then he turns into this giant monster, causing Mora to run out. It's it's a good scene. I I thought it was great. You might even say great. So uh, <laughs> some may see, <laughs> some may say, even a great scene. What about the scene where Bashir gets turned down by Dax? My replicator or yours? <laughs> um. Okay. I was eating a sandwich and I missed all this part i'm very sorry it's, it's okay so they, <laughs> but i after, wish i had seen it because i would have loved to watch that because after o'brien finds the the dead being the mm-hmm. next scene is in the infirmary and they're analyzing it he and dax and they explain oh. this thing didn't have where it comes from there was more carbon monoxide in the atmosphere so it just couldn't adapt to ours mm-hmm. and so that's why it died and then they're like we we'll, we need to study this some more. And then Dax gets up to leave, and she's like, "Do you want to go get a Ractagino and talk about it?" And he's like, "Of course, my replicator or yours." And she was like, "I was thinking the promenade." And he's like, ah. "Oh, right, of course." Well, and then she goes, "Good night, Julian." And then he leaves. Uh, and then he has another line, which is a great line for me. I'll save later. But then right after that, he goes in to check on Doctor Mora, and he gets attacked. Which makes the scene great because this is a horror movie and it's following the horror movie trope mm. of the horniest person getting attacked. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it like makes up for whatever ooginess people might feel about Bashir coming on to her or whatever, making a pass. I mean, I remember the, the attack part. And then he gets he literally gets like a, a like a, a tentacle wrapped around his throat. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to use the the laser scalpel to fend it off um which it seems that's weird that, making a pass at a that's right worker <laughs> that's right <laughs> you odo's id heard that and he's like not on my watch yeah, no, right. no heteronormative behavior here no, no lectures whatsoever right. <laughs> check your hr policies <laughs> i'm also the constable of hr um <laughs> 
Yeah, but the laser scalpel as the fending off the attack, that was that was fucking cool. I like that. Yeah. But I also maybe go like seems like laser scalpels probably shouldn't just be out on a tray either. Mm-hmm. They can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you can set a wide beam and slice someone's head off. That seems yeah, that quite, quite a range. <laughs> That's right. Like you could do that from, you could do your surgery from across the room. That doesn't seem good. <laughs> Well, theoretically, it loses some <laughs> intensity. Oh, great. Range. This is going to hurt a lot. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I don't even have to get up. I'm just going to sit in my chair and do it from here. Uh, and then to me, the the not the last scene of the episode, which is fine. But right before that, the whole sequence where they're where they figure Mora tells them it's Odo. He doesn't tell them why. If this episode were done today, you would have had Kira. So Kira and Dax are like not in this episode. And when you think yeah. of Odo, those are like, like they're by his side. The The best version of Odo is like Kira and Quark in his life. And they're like not in it. So I would think it, if they had done this later on and Dr. Mora does appear later on, but you know, their relationships chill. Um, like they would have been like, Oh, what did you do to Odo? Like they would have just yeah. been on it right away. Yeah. Like, wait a minute, Odo was fine until you showed up. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but I, the scene where they they lure him out of the conduits and they have to use the force field to contain him, and Doctor Moore is finally realizing, oh crap, I've been imprisoning you all along. Which yes, mm-hmm. that's exactly what makes him not a narcissist. And but it's like yeah. it really is like the zookeeper realizing like, oh, you're not an animal or a, a curiosity or it's not about me and what we learn together. You are an individual. And I've been that's Star Trek, though. That's what makes that moment great to me is like that's what characters in the Star Trek universe do, which yeah. is why Star Trek is aspirational because yeah. can change that. Easily. Anytime the character's like, what have I done? Yes. <laughs> like that doesn't really happen in real life, no. but it does happen in Star Trek. And that's nice. Yeah. And like I said, I've never forgotten that visual effect of, I, I mean, I didn't really like, here's my feelings on Odo as a kid. I didn't really like Odo. Uh, and, and later on I started to like him. Stuffy too stuffy and like there was a time where i liked and then i started to like him as i got older like as the show kept going on i I liked him and then once they put him together with major kira i was like no 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 this doesn't feel right but that's not anything to do with him but now going back and watching it because i really enjoy renee bourgeois performance because he's creating a they didn't know what to do with the character they had an idea they ditched it immediately and so he's like so you guys don't know and they're like no you go ahead and make the character. And so he did. And and I thought it was a good Odo there, but it was kind of a heartbreaking scene as a kid watching it, even though I didn't, re- I wasn't really into this character. I felt really bad for him. I feel really bad for the conflict and what was going on. So uh, I thought it was a nice payoff. There we go. That's what I thought. Uh, best Trek tropes. The Ferengi seal of dismemberment <laughs> is what it is called <laughs> that they put on the, the certified remains of the Ferengi that are to be sold. One of my favorite things to do when I'm talking about baseball players who are really bad is to say like, oh, they're going to run out a lineup of this guy, this guy, and the cremains of this guy. These are literally <laughs> cremains, cremated remains. Cremains is like one of the weirdest words in, in English. And Is that actually a word? I think it gets used cremains? in news reports because I think there's been like horrendous things of like cremains of 30 people were found in a storage locker or some shit like that. I remember 
<laughs> so it's like it's a word. It's a it's a terrible word that is really best. I'm never playing Scrabble with you. I'm gonna have to challenge you on that one. But okay. Remains a person's cremated remains. Let's see. Here's the Cambridge Dictionary. There's the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Uh, yes. <laughs> the reason is that cremains is thought to have less connection with the deceased, whereas a loved one's cremated remains has a more identifiable human element. So anyway. I don't think I've ever heard this word used in a sentence. Well, you just did. So there we go. Prior to <laughs> just now. Uh, any other worst trick tropes? Or best trick tropes? Klingon opera. Yeah, that's great. Um, They're in the air duct slash conduits. Yep. And then when we find the dead shapeshifter, goop. (laughs) Um, That's a trick trope, goop? Yeah, goop. (laughs) Just, you know, oozy goop. Do you want me to read any of the lines from the Klingon opera for you? Oh, sure. Okay. So the, it's actually a scene where they're sitting on the couch and Jake puts his head on Cisco's shoulder and the script says, and it is one of those special father-son moments that will stay with them to the end of their lives. Klingon tenor. Kakla, kakla, kapula, tula, kakla, yubula, tuda. And it goes on for a lot more than that. Beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, uh, I thought you had like a... Um... Like a translation. No. I'm, I'm, the, I'm reading the script. That's just what the script Best 40 bucks I've ever spent. For, the, for all of them, right? All of them, yep. So my best trick trope, one of them was the way they dressed up the cave set. Because they made it look, first of all, that it wasn't just on the floor of the stage. It, that it was elevated because they they put that drop in there that, that looked like it kept going. You know, the painted drop with the fog and everything and... And it was nice. It looked like it was like a, a collapsed town in the mountains or something, a, a structure in there. So I thought that was cool. Basically, like any money savers to suggest more using the little the, the little to- hobby toy that you could get um, like at a, any toy store of the metal, you know, the metal pins that you use to the, use magnets to move the metal pins. And it makes it look oh, like things moving. Yeah. Like that's all the, the creature was that they found until it turned wow. into gravy. It was oh, just yeah, like yeah. those the metal it was just like metal files with the magnet the, around. the woolly willy woolly willy yeah exactly exactly right so they must have just bought a bunch of woolly willies and ripped them open yeah uh, so I thought that was a nice trek trope of money saver uh, and then this maybe this is just for me but when they're on the planet and and Dax tells the computer to beam up the the steely the, the <laughs> st- structure she she does the left-handed com com tap and I just think it looks cool so it's just for me. Oh. Uh, any other best Trek tropes? No. All right. Worst Trek tropes. Uh, let's just take this relic from the planet. Like we're the British Museum. <laughs> they take the, what was it? What, what was it called? The uh, And the script is called a steely. A steely. Yeah. It looks, it's like an obelisk. Yes. But it's clearly like made from some civilization. They're like, all yep. right, well, let's beam it up and uh, take a look. There's yep. taking it. <laughs> that's right like they're the british museum just that's like well right. this is ours now <laughs> bye and they get punished for it immediately as soon as they beam yeah. it up the earthquake happens <laughs> yeah probably shouldn't have done that that's right that was a load-bearing uh obvious. yeah this was like the you know the curse of king tut's tomb or whatever that's right um 
just, you know, this is like, we need to limit the technology to en- enact the story. The computer, like Dax can't figure out what the genetic identity of this is because if they did, then the whole thing would be over. They figured the plot yeah. out immediately. The jig is up. But she's like, the computer's having trouble breaking down the DNA chain. All things considered, the computer's having a bad week. We have such a limited database for the Gamma Quadrant. So just saying, just calling attention to like the limitations, just to mm-hmm. just go with it. I mean, I guess it's kind of a nicer way of doing the whole just go with it. But it is kind of like, we'll beam them up. We can't. There's interference. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's the same general concept. We'll land on the planet. Uh, asteroid field. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It also seems along those lines, Dr. Mora tells Odo a Bajoran probe in, through the wormhole detects on this planet something that uh, some sort of substance that like vaguely resembles Odo's life signs. So a probe that that's, that's that sensitive that it can detect those genetic markers can't detect that it's a highly seismic planet. And you know, like when they, they don't discover that the planet has a lot of seismic activity until they roll up on the runabout. And then it's the 24th century and we still can't predict earthquakes. Like Dax couldn't have said, oh, there's going to be an earthquake there in five minutes. We should probably wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, any other worst truck trips? I have two more. Yeah. So, all right. Warp travel times. <laughs> they said that the the planet is six light years yeah. away from the mouth of the wormhole. Okay. A runabout's maximum warp speed is allegedly warp five. So putting it into a bunch of Star Trek calculators to, to go six light years with the maximum speed of warp five is like five and a half days. So they're mm. gone for 10 days, which means like this emergency from the gas, like was Odo giving them medical care for like a week when they were up on the, on the runabout that I don't mm. know about that. doesn't seem like that would, or maybe that's why they're in such bad shape. Once they got back to the yeah. station was like, no, nope, okay, it's not getting any better. Initial injuries weren't that bad, yeah. but they yeah. had to wait a week to get medical attention. Yes. And then, uh, and then the ending is along the same lines as the computer where Bashir is saying, there must have been some sort of metamorphic reaction to the volcanic gas we encountered on the planet. That's the kind of like Mora's theory about why Odo is acting this way, which is a great character beat of like yeah, him being in denial. Me. Yeah, it's this gas. But it's it, definitely not me. And so then Bashir in the final scene says, I'm perfect. I'm okay. <laughs> exactly right. It was the gas. gas. <laughs> it was gas. It was the gas that makes you hate your parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bashir, though, in the final scene goes, I'm not going to try to explain exactly what happened to Yodo because I haven't the vaguest idea. I, oh, really? Just, just rewatching this, I was like, you <laughs> and he's even delivering it like a wink like yeah. just who cares <laughs> well just you know which if they had know, done that we won't tell dad that <laughs> i mean this is kind of encroaching a little on most of his time which we might as well roll into it now like you would do the emotional beat that would be the explanation bashir would say like i'm no psychologist but you know what i mean <laughs> it seems to be that you were stressed in a way you'd never been before and this was you, your way of resp- your body's way of responding. Something like that would have made more sense than I don't know. <laughs> uh, I have no explanation for this. That's right. <laughs> uh, any most of its time quality you want to put um, out? I'm going to put Jurassic Park backdrop on the planet. It looks like the waterfall from Jurassic Park. I cannot wait for this to be remastered. 
in, in high def because it's going to look so much like what it even looks like now on the standard def. But yeah, we're going to see like extra details and be like, wow, that paint is chipped over there in that corner. Yeah. Or uh, yes, that, that whole set is very much of its time. Like today they would use the, the volume or, you know, they do some sort of digital backdrop instead. Yeah, I Actually, love think- it, though. Oh, I think it works great. I'm I'm 100% with you that that scene was like they shot that scene on a budget and did exact. It was still cool. The camera shaking and the gas shooting up and David Carson. Yeah, they had like all the the fog machines going. Yeah, it was it was good. Uh, All that said, I think the visual effects, though, of the morphing and the monster and all that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Obviously, absolutely of its time. But that is like the peak of television VFX at its time. And in that sense, it's good. They don't hold up at all. So when it gets remastered, they'll just have to redo them, which will make it look fine. You know, look fine. One of my other ones was the pre-internet influence on the story, like that opening scene that you liked with Quark and the the cremains of the famous Frankie. By the way, I like that the Frankie's claim to fame was that he was the one that brought the holodeck to the masses. Yeah, that's, to, that's, to bankrupt yeah. poor people. <laughs> To bait, that's exactly right. That was the implication. Yeah. But I mean, squeezing money out of people who can't afford that are like starving to death. Yeah. Yeah. And so Bill Dial, who wrote this, putting in a slot machine in a poor neighborhood. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's perfect. So, like, Bill Dial's like an old hand by the time he's writing this episode. The internet existed in some form by this point, 1993, 94 for sure. And so it's just funny because. You know, it you would not conceive of the story being like it's about this dead guy where you could just Google is this guy dead or how did this guy yeah. die? <laughs> and it's like, nope, that doesn't factor in. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. So anytime that Quark starts off with, I'm merely a businessman. I'm just going to like enjoy this scene. And so he starts off with with that before going into the talking about the cremains, I guess, as you put it. <laughs> It's a word. Look, this. It's a word. Okay, if you say so. Uh, <laughs> if you and all the dictionary companies say so. Um, as he, before he goes into the spiel about this great orator that may or may not be even dead. Um, and then also, when Doctor Mora is first on the, on the planet, he's like, or first on the on the station, he says, "I see you're still having trouble." with social integration because Oda was like gruff with um, Quark. And that's such a nagging thing for like a parent to say. And Oda immediately is just like, Oh, dad. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of that in the You're not story. even my real dad. God. Uh, I, on the notes. Cause I can't, I didn't remember this line and I, I just thought I'd mention this here. I guess in season one, when Loxana Troy, Counselor Troy's mom, is on Deep Space Nine, Odo mentions to her that he modeled his hair after the doctor who looked after him. So if you notice, he and Dr. Moore have the same same wig, basically. Um, And it is so that's interesting, like the story, they intended it to be an alter persona story but also like a father-son story and it kind of touches on that like with touches like that where they have the same hair and like you said the line you just pointed out it's just wild how the emotional core of the story is not that that's all it's just yeah <laughs> yeah along the lines of your quirk scene though 
I have 5,000 pieces of plague in my storeroom. Uh, 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 not plague. <laughs> Jake, what am I ever going to use Klingon opera for? I just think that's a great random line. To ha- I really like their whole exchange where he's, where he's like, you, you could, might meet a Klingon yeah, one day. You might work with some Klingons sometime. <laughs> and he's like, we're going to talk about opera? Oh, if only you knew. That's yeah. all talk, That's all Worf wants to talk about. Yeah, he'll find out shortly. Yeah. I liked O'Brien's, if you run into my wife, don't mention I did this. <laughs> he's following the noise in the, co- in the conduit. Bashir is my replicator of yours. Uh, and I liked his follow-up line after she ditches him. She enjoys it. She actually gets some kind of perverse pleasure out of it, <laughs> of, of denying him. Um, I, I have know. the exchange between Dr. Mora and Odo when Dr. Mora says, what other humanoid have you been able to trust except me? And then Odo says, what makes you think I trust you? Yeah. Because, yeah, you suck, Dad. Have you ever gotten into an argument with someone where you were not emotional and then you're doing it for so long, you just start crying in the middle of it? Like you, as you're talking, it just comes out of you. Cause I've had that. That's not, a, <laughs> I could feel for Odo in that moment. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he's sweating and turning in, in the hot dog hands and fingers. Oh yeah. He's losing it. He's losing it. But I have definitely been so frustrated that my body just said, just start crying. This is the only way you're going to finish mm-hmm. this conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> O'Brien, O'Brien gets weird zingers. This episode has like some random zingers. They're trying to lure out the the Odo monster and Cisco's like, what's going on? And O'Brien says, our plan seems to be working, Commander. It's following my trail of energy crumbs right towards you. <laughs> he never talks like this again. It's just kind of funny. Uh, and then the last great line I had was I'll pr- in the same same dialogue block where he's like, I don't know what happened to you. Uh, Bashir says, I'll prescribe rest because it's hard for a doctor to go wrong with that one. But otherwise, there's not much more I can do for you. It's like very vaudevillian, these last two lines. <laughs> uh any others no all right so here's here's the one where i have no notes because maybe it's a discussion the anton caridian award for best performance well you see i think it's probably difficult to act when you have on that sweating mask yeah he's i'm gonna have the hot dog fingers we get many shades of odo in this Mm -hmm. one but also James Sloyan, who is Dr. Mora, Mora, the guest star here, he was in uh, The Defector from The Next Generation. He would be in Voyager. Um, he was in Next Generation again as as Worf's son in the future. He is a very, very big actor, like big performer. He was a soap opera guy. I sent you that picture of him from the 70s, I guess, his, his thirst trap photo. Uh, when he's being a handsome devil, um, but he's like a very big actor, and I, I saw no evidence of that in this performance. This was as TV subtle as you could get in 1993, 1994. Yeah, usually we're giving the guest star the Shatner because they're just like over the top. Yeah, and even in the scenes where he's like getting very big, it's like they'll put you in a zoo. It's like a build up, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. um. And he like, You're an animal. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't do any of that. He and you could, one could do that. Yeah, and I, I liked his fear in that moment where the monsters behind the force field, and then I think the realization actually registers on his face. But then again, yeah, 
Rene Bourgeois with the mask on, which he hated wearing. He hated it. Famously in the in the Deep Space Nine documentary on the very last night of shooting, you know, he's walking off the stage. He's peeling the mask off. He's done his last shot ever as Odo. He peels off the mask and he slams it in Iris Stephen Bear, the showrunner's hand. He goes here. <laughs> it's like and, and it's hanging on Ira Bear's wall. <laughs> and like there's no real reason for him to have that weird face as a shapeshifter. Right. Well, their their gimmick was like, well, he's not, you know, he's still he never learned how to do it perfectly. But you could have done something yeah. else. Yeah. And it, it's changed that was less horrible. He was he had more of his real face in like the early seasons, like in, in or early in season one. And then they, they made that change, which is tough. So, yeah, and I mean, to me, I kind of want to give it to both of them. But I, I mean, might as well just say Rene Bourgeois I mean, as Odo. Yeah. I mean, he's playing a lot. Play, he goes the full gamut of like, I'm totally Odo. I'm Odo stressed, but handling my shit and I'm losing it. Like, yeah, the whole I am. Beach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then the Shatner. Yeah. Hmm. Who can we give it to? We gave to Bashir just for fun funsies because <laughs> those prescriptions are just bad. He was good in in I thought Bashir was good in all. I kind of want to give it to Terry Farrell as Dax because she's doing like a bedroom eyes, uh, sultry voice version of Dax. I can't remember if she ever had the sultry tuned up this high before or or after this one. Like it was a weird like setting for her in this one. So maybe, I don't know. All right, we'll go with Bashir. That's fine. Or we could give it to the um, the planets, the planet set. Oh, I like that. The earthquake. The the the, the planet set. No, that's really good. That's like. It's very Land budget. of the Lost. Like. <laughs> and it, I think, and we agree it works, but it's like yeah, clearly like this is a set. <laughs> like yeah yeah but like if you if you were like oh we're doing five episodes on this set you'd be like oh no 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 yeah but no i, I like this that is, it's, this is fine that's good all right what part of this will he teach at starfleet academy uh be like be nice to your lab specimens i mean famously <laughs> they don't tell they don't teach anything because then we find out in picard that's right they but they're they, they're mistreating the shapeshifter lab specimens yeah they were super cruel to them so not a goddamn thing apparently <laughs> Um, I guess the only thought I have seismic activity on your planet you're about to land on. That's right. Maybe try to like chart out when it could be the worst time to go down to a planet. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I guess I was thinking because Odo was found here. There's that obelisk, the steely, um, which comes back later when Odo actually finds the founders homeworld that this would sort of be taught as like this was at some point, like a colony or maybe even the founder's original home world or a place where they were from and what happened to this culture. It's all tied into the to the changelings. So I'm sure they teach something like that. Could this episode have been hornier and would that have made it better? I mean, it wasn't horny at all, really. It had two bits of other than. Well, I mean, Bashir gets the immediate. He tries to be horny and then he gets the immediate. uh, Assault from Odo. So, yeah. Um I think there's also that little moment where Dax says that Bashir wouldn't let her leave the the infirmary, so she had to sneak out with her gown and the gown was like completely yeah, it was open in the back. Yeah, open in the back. That's kind of horny. She's certainly 
sultrily presenting it as as a little (laughs) horny wink wink um no i don't think this episode should have been hornier (laughs) i think it should i think it it should have been been. yes i think it should have or it could have been uh more uh it could have embraced what it was actually really about a bit more (laughs) but i guess i guess they could they didn't want to do that all right so trek marry or kill the alternate um you know, I think because it's an Odo heavy episode, I guess I'll give it a trek. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think I think it ends strong. I don't really feel like it gets too boring. Maybe in the middle, yeah. a little tiny bit, but not really. It doesn't but, rise to the kill level for me. It's not <laughs> a stinker. Too? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A solid thing. And then a nice little, uh, what am I trying to say? A nice signpost in Odo's journey over the course of the series. Um and also just a nice Star Trek ending where two people, this is why we're doing a two-hander month, two people have a conflict and they come to some sort of understanding through a very science fiction ordeal, <laughs> which yeah. that's what it's all about. All right. Next week, we're sticking with Deep Space Nine as our two-hander month continues. I'll be joined by Andrew Bloom, a writer from the website The Spool, and we're going to judge duets from season one. Major Kira interrogates a Cardassian might be responsible for mass deaths at a labor camp. Thank you. for. <laughs> Sounds oh, really well. fun, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's going to be a barrel laugh. So I just know it. Uh, and also I'm going to take a moment to plug the movie that I produced that finally came out. Oh, you can rent it on Amazon prime. It's called Emmageddon and E M M A G E D D O N. Uh, and it's about a writer who, somehow writes herself into her own superhero movie. Uh, and is it real or is it in her head? You'll just have to watch and see, but is um, it a brain tumor? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. it's volcanic gas. Oh, she, <laughs> you know what? That gas. She was working for the British museum. No, no, no. She's a, yeah. she's she stole a bunch yeah. of stuff. There's an independent feature film I produced and uh, was one of the producers on and it's finally come out. So check that wow, out. Finally, we have something to plug. That's One right. I, I don't have anything, but you, you do. Well, you have your resolution to plug. You're going to need some takers yeah. for that. <laughs> Fairly, yeah. I guess I will. So, my year, um, my year uh, of salute. I have like an email address or something, and uh, <laughs> Brian will pass those on to me or not. We'll see. That's right. Uh, hit us up. No, on he's going to weed them out and only send me the good ones. Trek Mary K Pod on social media. Check out all of our standings. Please include Trek- a photo. <laughs> of your face please i don't need or the other it doesn't matter picture. okay uh, there's, no, right. no, there's no reason to get into the, the of it, it but fair enough no <laughs> no feet though <laughs> that's you that's me <laughs> that's your thing <laughs> check I out send the feet <laughs> Uh, if you need to get reoriented with where we're at on our treks marries and kills right now we're like 50 percent our treks yeah. So, but which is fine. I mean, we're going to, we're going to run that in, in line with the, no, I mean, it's 30, 40, 30 is the oh. fear is the hypothesis. We're testing it right now. Yeah. Checks are, are out ahead by, but that's not about like, if it turns out we're like, actually there's a lot of better ones, like decent ones compared to just the meh. Like right now. Yeah. Right now it is like 50, 25 and 25. That's, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
All right, checkmarykillpod.com and uh, for all those numbers. And until next week, TMKO. Bye.